Julia Gerlach. Welcome to this episode of the 2021 Strip Till Farmer podcast series, supported by the Andersons. In today's program, we get more insights into some of the innovations that are being implemented at FWR Farms in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you'll be able to get alerts when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to the Andersons for their support of this podcast series. A nutrient management program is essential to maximize crop productivity and yields. The key is providing the right nutrients at the right time throughout the growing season. The Andersons high yield programs make it easy to plan a season long approach for many row and specialty crops. Download yours today at andersonsplantnutrient.com forward slash high yield. Ryan Nell doesn't like to get comfortable, especially when it comes to managing his family's 2200 acre farm operation in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. Comfortable can lead to complacency and for years FWR Farms was content to continue conventional tillage practices. But in 2015, Ryan's research into strip till fueled their entry into the practice. Despite some initial challenges, Ryan saw the potential in the practice and began transforming their farm's philosophy to embrace soil building efforts, which have translated to more consistent results for corn and soybeans. In today's Strip Till Farmer podcast, supported by the Andersons, we share excerpts from a conversation with Ryan, who candidly shares some of the reasoning and results of the farm's recent experiments with seeding cover crops after corn silage, using cereal rye to combat white mold, and ultra-low soybean populations. So I had about 400 acres of rye that we put on last fall on corn stock ground. The reason we did this was for white mold. So soybeans, white mold is by far, actually in our entire farming operation, white mold is the number one concern. Um, trying to manage this without the use of fungicides. I, I, I had a, a rep from BASF last year. He's been a great guy to work with. You know, I've got to meet and work with him. And he made the lovely comment to me. He's like, you know, you might have some of the worst white mold in the state. I'm like, thanks, jackass. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, we used Endura, we used Cobra, we, we, we couldn't stop it. And it just gets to the point when you start spending, you know, last year, obviously, prices were way different than they are now. But it's like you spending 30, 40 bucks an acre on fungicides and we're not stopping. We're not, I'm like, we need to come up with some better ideas. Let's think outside more. And there, you're hearing more of this cereal rye, like, yeah, we grow, we use rye and we don't have the, the white mold issues. So trying to dig deeper, I mean, I, I'm still, guys will say, oh, we just use rye and we don't have an issue. I want to know why. You know, it's like, I, don't just tell me it's the world's greatest thing. I need to know why it is. So they're finding out more things where, you know, we need to let maybe the rye get taller and it's just kind of an armor. And one of the, I think her name's Erin Silva. She's um, with the organic side. She said they're finding out the rye is actually screwing up the UV light getting to the spores and they don't actually produce the way they're supposed to. I'm like, well, hey, we're finding something. If we can find a connection, great. So we did use a bunch of cereal rye on these white mold prone areas. So that's something that, I mean, it's, it's hopefully we can find something there. I mean, the, the rye's not free, the drill's not free, and you have to manage accordingly. But when, we, when things were getting hard and dry there, we had a field where he went from, you know, no cereal rye to cereal rye. He could make, he knew it. You could just tell the ground, Mel, you know, and it wasn't like this rye is knee high. I mean, it was only 50 pounds with a drill. Um, 
he could, you could tell. So my uncle, who the one who usually did the dairy, um, we actually were picking rocks. We, we just pick rocks with two gators now and four people are out there. He's even noticing he's like, the ground is a lot mellower where the rye is. So we're seeing more things with it where it's like, all right, yeah, this, there's something to this. Um, we actually were kicking around yesterday about getting a, uh, we used to have an air seeder. Before we bought this planter, we had an air seeder, great machine. Um, we just didn't really have a use for it anymore. Kind of kicking around, maybe let's find a used, older, it could be wore out for all I care. It's just putting rye in. About finding a, a bigger air seeder and just kind of committing to just go. Just get it put on. As soon as the combine comes out, go. I know guys are spinning it on. Um, you're using double, I mean, it, it, to me, it comes down to economics. You know, if you're putting two bushel out there rather than one bushel, the rye's not free. And I imagine it could be even more expensive this year. So let's just say it's 10 bucks a bushel. You're putting another $10 an acre out there that's not necessary. And I look at it as a, dr a drill also as like a VT. You know, we're slicing some residue, we're doing that. Um, you know, I, I do like that. We, we, we should have tried some spinning some last year, but you know, there's no guarantees to anything. But um, no, I, I think going forward, I mean, the writing's getting closer and closer on the wall where it's like, all right, there is some real benefits to rye for soybeans. Corn, I'm not sold on rye in front of corn. I, you know, you hear the allelopath effect and this and that, which allelopathy effect is on small seeded broadleaves. Corn's not a broadleaf. What I think it is, is more of a, it's a corn on corn effect. You know, when you put a grain in front of, or, 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 or grass in front of a grass, corn in front of corn, it's a, it's a nitrogen management thing is what I think it is. Corn does not like competition. Um, so I'm not totally sure if we're gonna, you know, I, I had a 22 acre field that was a hill. It was wheat stubble. We hauled a bunch of liquid manure on it, thinking, oh boy, this is gonna be a mess. But it was so dry, it was no big deal. So then in September, I just put some rye on and stripped it. And I'm like, oh, we'll plant corn on there. I'm not concerned there just because there's so much, there's manure, it's available. I'm, I'm not as concerned. Because the rye, I mean, when, I'm not going to lie, when I was planting, you couldn't see anything. It was, I mean, that rye was tall already. Um, couldn't see the rocks. But that, that's a one, I mean, I'm okay with that one. But that's also a soil erosion. It's a hill. I was glad I had something out there rather than nothing. But for corn, I, you know, we're, we're going to get into more cover crops after wheat. You know, the dawn definitely kind of made that more. Now it's like, I'll put the cover crop out. I want a winter kill cover crop. And... Actually, some of it is my cousin's uh, hunt. They're going to pay for part of the cover crop because they put their small plots and they're like, well, you want to do the whole field? And I'm like, you kick in a little bit. I'll put whatever you want. <laughs> so it's kind of a win-win, I guess. But uh, I look at the dawn as an option in spring weather. I don't know if, I, if I'll feel comfortable no-tilling. Run the dawn out there, just make some strips, plant. So it's kind of one of those. I, I, I've never been one to just jump into something without a plan, backup plan. You know, I want, I, you know, in case of emergency, you know, something happens, how do you adapt to it? You know, I, I have a grain drill. I will use that thing for beans. If it, if it gets to be late May, get rid of these 30 inch planters. You got to go narrower. Um, it's only 20 foot and it's a drill, but you know, I'm a firm believer after a certain date, you need to go narrow. Um, early? No, I, I don't think it is. It's not, I shouldn't say it's not. Someone could prove me wrong, but for us and our management, 30 inch strip till beans is, it can't compare it to other people's soybeans. It's like, no, what we're doing might not work for you because of what we're doing. I mean, ultra low populations on beans, that's, 
I mean, we, we had some, I put some in at 40,000 this year. No, I'm not recommending that to a lot of people. It was just, it was, it was, I just happened to be in the planner as one of those where I planted 40,000 corn in this, it was, it was an acre and a half, two acres. Mm-hmm. Planted corn at 40,000 there last year. And I'm like, you know what? It'd be kind of cool. <laughs> so it's 40, 40, 40 of corn, 40 of beans in the same spot. I mean, we, we transitioned to, some di- we put different plates in now um, so I could singulate them better. It's actually a deer released a corn type plate so you can singulate the beans a lot better. Um, but if you're higher populations, if, you, if you're over 110, 120, that might not be the best option for you. You know, we're more in that. I think, I think we're going to average about 95,000 this year across everything. And a lot of it, like I said, a lot of it comes down to white mold. I'm trying to manage white mold any way I can. So some guys might hear the low population and say, oh, you might be giving up yield. I'm okay with that. If we can stop white mold, I'll give up a couple bushels mm-hmm. rather than put on $30, $40, $50 worth of fungicides and still lose yield. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to come up with a better ROI on how to manage it. What, what do you guys typically fall with corn populations? Ah, uh, 30, I guess my variable, I'll go 30,000, 38,000. We probably average right in that 35 and a half, 36. You know, the good ground I'll push and the other ground, no, just save the seed. Well, yeah, and I guess we've kind of, you know, uh, hinted at a little bit of this discussions, but, you know, certainly with the cover crops, mm-hmm. but really we would just like to kind of get a little more info uh, and insight on some of those, uh, I guess, you know, early planting experiments, mm-hmm. you know, that you've done and, and, you know, what you've seen and learned, you yep. know, by, by trying that. Because obviously I know experimentation, yep. calculated experimentation <laughs> is, is a big part of your operation here, but, uh, you know, certainly that that's something that uh you know not everybody's willing to try or are going to experiment with so so it started in 2018 like the fall the fall before it was was corn silage put cereal around it strip tilled it stripped great was everything looked great and went to commodity classic that year and i met a man guy man chris eiler uh he's from champaign illinois he's got a facebook page the pursuit of hundred bushel soybeans he's on twitter but he's been doing early planted soybeans in Champaign for, I think he was like seven, eight years. He had some February beans. And, you know, we were, we were always in the early strip till. Like, I think in 2015 and 16, 16, whatever, we planted beans, I think it was April 25th. Conditions were good. It was cold. It's kind of funny how it goes full circle. It was April 25th and it was cold. And we were like, oh, let's only do 20 acres. This is insane. What are you doing? And I have a neighbor, Jerry Kreitzinger in the South. He was doing the same thing. He put a whole bunch in, but it's like, you know, it didn't feel right. So we put them in, you know, we, whatever, we put those beans in. They were great, but we we're like, oh, we should, you know, this early thing, maybe there's something to it. So I met Chris at uh, Commodity Classic. Actually, he, I listened to one of his talks, thought it was great. Ran into him at a Helena party function, you know. I don't buy anything from Helena, but it was a great time. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Helena. I had a great time. Um, hope to see you again next year. Um, I should probably buy something from him. Uh, <laughs> met him and just, I just got to talk to him and just said, man, hey, I think that's pretty cool. I'm like, I'm like, I'm in Wisconsin. You know, what do you think, how this is, what, do you think it would work? And he's like, it's uncharted territory. I'm like, huh, okay. So let's just fast forward again here now. We're at March, we'll just call it March 17th, 18th. It was kind of nice weather, you know, drying out. And we're like, said something to my dad. I'm like, what do you think of trying planting some beans? And this is right behind my house at the time. And 
this and that. And I was just, we had some leftover beans and I'm like, oh, we'll just use some old ones. Well, then I started calling around a little bit. My, my cousin who works for uh, Pioneer and then talking to some other guys and they're like, you know, nobody, nobody could give you an ant. Nobody knew. Well, all of a sudden I had two bags from Pioneer and two bags from Young's just show up and they said, put them in. So March 23rd, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. We planted four acres. Didn't really know, you know, we we're like, well, what population, what depth, what are we going to do? And we're like, well, let's, let's start at like an inch and three quarters. We knew maybe depth was probably going to be important. And soil conditions were phenomenal. We probably could have planted a day or two earlier, but we just didn't know. You're waiting for the last day. We planted two varieties is four acres, 120 feet wide at 140,000. And I'm so glad we did this, but we messed with the planting depths. When we ran, you know, I just filled the little mini hoppers. And when we ran out, we filled it back up. It's like, well, let's just go deeper. So we just went one notch deeper. And then when we ran out again, filled them up, went one notch deeper again. So we planted them, whatnot. You know, we actually left for Florida. We took a RV, my whole, my, my sister, her kids, my wife, all of us jumped in an RV that afternoon. And we were gone. So it's like, well, they're in the ground. So we posted on Facebook and stuff and that. And the amount of negative, <laughs> I mean, it was, I had an uncle that said to my cousin, how stupid could that be? Where's my free seed to throw away? I mean, the amount of people that just took such offense to this, I'm like, people, it's four acres. Right. Just settled. It's four acres. Um, you know, I, and I greatly appreciate the guys that gave me the seed. You know, I mean, it worked out. That part was great. But uh, kind of come full circle back to it. I mean, I was freaking out. We had big snowstorms. And I mean, we had like 18 inches of snow. And I'm, I'm freaking out because I could see them from my window. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? First part of May, they're coming out of the ground. Um, it was like May 4th, May 5th. Long story short, they made it. You know, there was an area that we thought about maybe replanting. You know, the populations got pretty low there. But uh, we were doing alfalfa on the hill right next to it. And you could look down and you're like, gosh, something looks weird. Took the drone up to look. The planting depth was everything. Where we went deeper, it was a line. I have a drone picture. I, 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 this drone picture, I'm never going to give it up. But it showed, I mean, you could see the population from 400 feet in the air. It just like that was better. Um, so that was, that was the one thing we learned from it. It's like depth. We had to protect the beans. How deep were you on? on Probably that? at least two inches when, okay. we, when we transitioned was at least two. Um, and the big reason for that is we just, we need to protect again. I mean, that was a, that was a harsh from that year was probably the worst conditions. I mean, we went from when we left on that trip, I think there was like ice and stuff. I, I remember there was a bad, I, we drove through an ice storm in Illinois on the way home. It snowed a whole bunch. So that's how I got a melt. You know, just the freeze, the temperature in that top two inches was changing so much. So I think that's why the depth helped the most. Going forward in 2019, we did 13 acres. And actually those turned out to be, from a standpoint of, from yield in 2018, we really did not see a yield advantage because I planted the rest of the field April 26th, same variety. It basically came up at the same time. Not much of a yield advantage. What would, was uh, 77 bushel. Okay. okay. And, it, 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 and that was counting, there was areas of probably only 50,000. It probably easily went about over 80 if I would have had everything planted properly. I mean, the, the yield monitor was going up to 95, um, which is not unheard of. I mean, it's, it can be done. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, that, that area, we weighed it separately. I got It's like, nope, let's, people are going to want to know 77 bushel. So the transition into 2019, we went to some longer maturities, put a 2.9 and 2.6 in. Um, and that was all no-tilled because I did not get the strips made. Um, and that was April 1st, I think is when we got them in. And 
The cool part about that year, those 2.6s and 2.9, we saw a huge yield advantage in 2018, but a lot of the beans didn't get planted till later anyways. Mm -hmm. So we saw, I mean, I was well over 100 for a while in these areas. But the other cool part, there was a lot in 2018, a lot of guys had a lot of June planted beans. And we had we had 60 acres as well. That might that tall rye, same field. Mm -hmm. That was a 2.9 planted April 1st. And then the June ones was a 2.0. That 2.9 was mature before that 2.0 planted in June. So that was kind of a, oh, and the yields on it were phenomenal. So to go from there, 2020, we did way more acres. I had 66 acres planted by April 7th. We tried some two eights, you know, try to mix things up a little bit more. Same thing, the, all these beans always seem to come up that May 3rd, May 4th, May 5th for those three years. Usually my top, they're always within the top 10%. Um, a lot of it was like that, the bean I used this last year in 2020, was a two point, a new bean, never should have used it. I had a bean, my headlands that were a bean, a different bean were out yielding it by a long shot. I used the wrong bean. So, but it still worked out great. We even had the frost concern. There was a concern in 2020, May, I think 9th, there was a frost. I didn't lose any. We did see some that actually put out two stems, um, which was kind of cool that we found one, but um, there was no concerns there. But same thing, planting depth, you know, we're two, two and a half. Get them in the ground. You got to protect them. I don't want these beans to fly out of the ground um, because the frost was right there. You know, if I if these beans would have came up earlier, who knows? I could have been replanting. So three years of doing that was kind of getting kind of like okay, yeah, okay, it's easy. Um, and a lot of it, I mean, people always ask, what did you learn from it? What are you trying to prove? Especially in 2018, the amount of guys that were like, "Wow, well, are you going to plant the whole farm in March?" No, <laughs> like, <laughs> the insurance, it's still insurance dates are still, you know, I don't want to replant the whole farm. Um, even replant seed, technically some of the, you're, you're on the, you know, if you're planting before the April 25th, I think it's April 25th, you have to lie, you know, the, the, the dealer does not have to give you seed. You know, there is no, it's no replant program for that. A lot of what we learned was the planting depth and people would always ask, what was the soil temp? I don't give a hoot. Soil temps does not, in, in soybeans, Soil temps don't matter. Stop thinking soil temps. Mm -hmm. Ground conditions for planting, if they're there, get them down, plant. Mm -hmm. Don't plant the whole farm, <laughs> but it's all about soil moisture and planting depth here. And I'm a firm believer, early beans have a greater advantage, less risk up here than say the guys further south. They could get a, there, there could be 70 degree weather that comes through them and whoop, my beans are out of the ground. They seem to still get frost the same time we do. I mean, I think the guys in Illinois had frost and we didn't, we, they got frost. We weren't even close to it. You know, so they're still just as risk at the frost as what we are. Their beans will hurry up and get out of the ground. There's a reason I go deep. I don't want them to hurry up. So there's kind of a, you know, I, you know, if I was in Illinois and someone, you know, you got you to gotta take it with a grain of salt. You know, it, everyone's territory is different. Um, you know, I feel like us in, I always like to lump like Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan together. I feel like the management there, you know, weather-wise, depending on where you are now, northern Wisconsin, the south, where we are here, totally different. We'll get back to the discussion in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, the Andersons, for making this podcast possible. A nutrient management program is essential to maximize crop productivity and yields. 
The key is providing the right nutrients at the right time throughout the growing season. The Anderson's high yield programs make it easy to plan a season long approach for many row and specialty crops. Download yours today at andersonsplantnutrient.com forward slash high yield. Let's get back to the program and hear more from our recent visit with Ryan Nell about pushing the envelope with early planted soybeans. So this fall, there was a few guys, I know I know one of the guys on, uh, he's on Twitter, he works for Bayer out of Illinois, planted beans in November. And my first thought was cool, but also it's too early. We're seeing some of this out there, guys are trying this and that, or talking about it and how stupid this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I said something to my dad, I said, I think this, we could do this. You know, the ground is going to be, this was, this was a field, it was corn silage. We put cereal on it, I strip tilled it. And it stripped off. I mean, it was so dry. It, you could have planted into it right then and there. And that field was intended for this year for early planting. That's all it was there for, for early planting. And uh, I made some phone calls around. I, gave, I had about a week heads up. I'm looking for new seed. I did not want leftover seed. I want new seed. And to try to find new seed in the first week of December, good luck. Actually, my BASF rep uh, was able to come through on some credenz beans. Um, and he hand treated them. I mean, it was, we just did it in a barrel. This was nothing scientific. We treated them. Not, not sure if the treatment was even necessary. We, we just didn't know. So we treated them, um, planted 3.1 acres, December 10th, two different populations, 140 and 200,000, three different planting depths, uh, two and a quarter, two and a half and three inches. And at first, I mean, this wasn't that long. Two weeks ago, I was probably, we weren't really finding any. We're digging, we can't. We're, I mean, the cereal rise, it's hard to scout. That's the number one problem. It's just hard to scout. Couldn't find them, couldn't find them. All right, we're going to replant. So the beans we put in in the fall were a GT27, so Roundup Liberty and HPPD. The ones we put in this spring, I, I made the call. I said, all right, we're going to replant. You know, a lot of guys were like, well, just wait for a while. I'm like, no, this sounds kind of bad, but I'm like, I'm going to be done planting beans. I'm going to put my bean planter away. I'm not keeping it out until the middle of May. Like, no, we're just replant now. We shifted over seven and a half inches. So we were not planting on the same spot. And uh, just went and planted another 100,000 of an extend variety. I kind of thought they weren't going to make it, blah, blah, blah. My BASF rep actually had a guy from Madison that was interested in this. They met out there, looked. He's sending me pictures. He's like, there's life. I mean, I, I was like, really? He's like, yeah, you just have to kind of, he's not a big cover crop guy. He kind of said, he's like, he went to the area where the, the rye was the shortest and that's where you could see him. So I'm like, okay, could be a heat thing. So we've replanted them, but now we at least have the possibility the rye has been killed off. Give it a while till, the, till we can actually see what's coming. Um, and then we can be able, I think we're going to spot spray accordingly. If the December beans are there, I'll spray Liberty on the other. I'll kill the replants. You know, I, I have the option to be able to kill the ones, you know, that I, whatever ones I want. But um, I can't believe that, you know, I actually, I really did think they were going to be just fine. I think it was maybe too warm of a winter. The guy in Illinois that did it, he put them in November. His, he's like, they're not, they're not. He, he replays like calling a failure. He's like, we learned, but it's a, it, you know, it didn't work. Um, but I really think he planted too early. Those beans sat for too long. It's too, maybe too warm where I was waiting. I, the reason we picked December 10th, I could have planted a couple days earlier. 
I've waited as long as possible. And rain was coming, so I'm like, this is our last shot, gotta get them in. And actually, it, it planted great, it really did. But uh, I, th it, we'll see. My goal was a harvestable stand. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but at least now with the replants there, I can be like, well, this area, you know, this, you know, if I can get some December beans on a yield monitor to show some good numbers, that's kind of the goal now. Like, let's just get, if I could put a seven in front of any of these, awesome. Um, you know, I'm really having to nitpick down. It might not be a big area, don't get me wrong, but to have an area that we could actually do this on. So that was the December ones. After we did that, I mean, a lot of hoopla and this and that about it. I will say this, from when we did the March ones in 2018 to when we did these December ones. You know, I enjoy social media, Facebook, Twitter, Egg Talk, stuff like that. Posted that we did this. The amount of people that, you still get your negative, how stupid, they're never going to make it, blah, 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 blah. But there was a lot more, that's awesome, you're trying it. Or, you know, or, or, a lot of people, like people that were being negative about it, I didn't have to defend myself. I had other people coming into my defense. They're like, no, he's been doing March Beans for three years. There, there's a little credit, there's a little credit, I'm not, not going to call myself, a, 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 you know, like, I know this. No, there's probably a lot of luck involved too. Um, but I used what we learned on the March ones with these December ones, like I said, the planting depth, um, population, soil conditions. I'm like, we did everything. Now it's like, now it's, I did everything I felt we could do. It's on the bean and mother nature. So that was, that was kind of cool to see how more people were like, Hey, keep us updated. That's awesome. You know, thanks for just doing it, you know, especially up here. So to kind of, we did that, you know, we did some March 22nd, we had a, a chance to plant again. We put seven acres in, but we did some weird row spacing stuff this year. I'm just mixing it up because 30 inch March beans were getting boring. So we did some 15 inch, 30 inch, twin 30s, 45 inch, 60s, twin 60s, and a wide row twin 60. So it's actually a 60 inch center, but a 20 inch gap in between them. So your normal twin row is eight inches apart. I did 20 inches. So there's actually a 40 inch gap um, in between it. And actually that one came from uh, Jason Mowick. I actually questioned him about this, about the, the row spacing thing. And now I, this is where a management thing, he's like, oh, you got to do the wider ones, get some manure in there. And I said, ha, huh, no, you don't understand white mold. I'm like direct correlation between manure and white mold. I'm like, I'm like, I like where your head's going, but doesn't work. Um, so that's where the wider twin row came. Mm -hmm. The reason we did that was, yeah, 60 inch, you know, 60 inch corn. I got my neighbor, Marty Weiss does a little bit of it. It's cool. You know, there is, there is a yield drop with it, but it, it's still cool to see. Um, and actually last summer I was, I was hauling corn last summer, you know, $3 corn. So you just pissed off <laughs> and, uh, white mold got me. So I'm just, I'm just mad. Corn prices are down. White mold's getting me. Uh, another pioneer dealer just put a herbicide plot in, 15s, 30s, and he put some 60s in just for fun. And I'm like, can I can I come see those? I go to look at it, and I mean, it, it, the architecture of this plant is so much. I mean, right. you won't even think this 15, if you pulled one from the 60s, they're not even the same plant. Um, but I'm looking at it, and it's kind of open for air. And I'm like, you know, I wonder from a white mold standpoint if, you know, maybe we could get, we might give up some yield, but this might not be a bad idea just to, just to try. Well, so that's what this roll with thing was is, um, 
The area that I got put in, I'm not super concerned about white mold. It's more, let's just see from a yield standpoint. All I'm gonna, it's the same variety and it's all, it, each one's 30 foot across uh, a length of a field. We'll harvest it and I'll just go by yield monitor and we'll just get an idea of what, you know, we might see a big difference in yield um, from one to the other. But uh, I mean, I talked to Sean Conley, Damon Smith and Rodrigo, Rodrigo Worrell about this. You know, weed control is definitely a concern, you know, just overall ask them about it. And, um, you know, they're even seeing the data early beans, row spacing doesn't seem to matter. You know, and, and, and Sean even said, he's like, you're proving that right now, you know, the 30s versus 15s, especially when it's early. And I'm like, well, what if we go wider? Well, nobody has that answer. So I'm like, well, let's just try it. It wasn't difficult. I mean, the 45s, we had to, you had to hit your head against uh, the paper pretty hard to, to get it. We used, we used a 30 inch planner. Um, and to figure out exactly how this comes out, where do you set the monitor? All the populations per acre were the same. Um, so the, the only variable is row width. So yeah, we, uh, have you guys seen anything? I have. It, it's, it's in the same field. The, the rye is so tall. Yeah. I'm yeah. waiting for the rye to die. I mean, they are up. I, I went out there. Those are coming up. The, the December ones, the March ones. And then we planted 200 acres April 3rd to April 6th. Those are all pushing or almost out of the ground. Mm -hmm. So I will, once it dries out, warms up a little bit. I'll go look closer. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that it's hard to see in that. The rye is pretty tall. It's just, it's hard to see. Mm -hmm. Um so that, I mean, that's kind of been the bean, you know, you know, that April 2nd, April, or April 3rd to April 6th, we only planted 200 acres. My neighbor, Jerry Kreitzinger, he only put 300 in. And uh, there was a few other guys that tried some and actually Jerry made the comment. I'm like, he was going to put 50% in. And I'm like, Jerry, why didn't you do that? He's like, well, if the guy that's planting in December is shutting it down, maybe I should slow down a little bit too. <laughs> And I'm well, we knew the full moon. Anytime we do these early beans, you got to watch the full moon for frost. That's usually, it's not an exact science, but there is something to it. Um, we, <laughs> the full moon was April, April 26th. So there was a lot of concern about it. It's very warm there in early April. It's like, ooh, are these beans going to get out of the ground? Actually, Sean Conley put a thing out on, you know, he said the beans that were going in, 80% chance they're going to make it, you know, Actually, he said 20% chance they're going to die. And I retweeted him and I said, quit being so damn negative. 80% chance they're going to make it, you know. And, uh, and he did a GDU calculator based on the weather we had and everything. He's like, they're not going to be out of the ground. So that made me feel a little better too. But um, yeah, I mean, basically the stuff we've been learning has been more just, I don't care about soil temp anymore. I, you know, the, 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 the frost date, frost is a concern. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there's a reason I go deeper. There, there is that reason. It's just to keep them down. If it takes another week to get out, it's fine. You know, I, I do the one, one thing I wish we would have done this spring was put some beans in shallow, get them out of the ground. Let's see what would happen of a frost. You know, basically knowing what I know now, how we didn't get the frost, I'd look like a genius. But if they got killed, it probably wouldn't work. But yeah, that, that's basically been the bean thing. I mean, now it's, like I said, we were, we were, we were done with beans before corn. We usually start beans before corn. And to be honest with you, without strip till, doesn't happen. You know, th that's why I kind of keep coming back to a lot of guys are like, oh, that's a waste. Just no-till them. They're usually the I-State guys that are saying that. Um, but strip till soybeans in our area is just becoming very fall, fall strip till for 30 inch beans. It gives you the, it gives you the chance for the 
earliest planting date, best planting conditions. And if you're gonna do some sort of tillage, now if you're a no-till guy, I'm, I, I don't maybe don't wanna turn that guy off. The only thing I could tell him is you might, you're gonna gain planting date and possibly be able to reduce your population because they all grow. Mm -hmm. We don't have an issue with, oh, only half stand. No, we don't run into that issue anymore. Um, so it's been, that part's been pretty cool how guys are like, you know, yeah, I can get them in earlier or the willingness to go earlier. We've just seen that the last couple of years where guys are planting beans earlier and it's kind of like, you know, I feel like I had a little bit to do with that, you know. And some guys are still, they're like, oh, we'll put some in, but we ain't planting the whole farm. And I'm still the same way, spread out risk, you know. My dad's like, well, you want to switch the bigger planter over for beans? I said, no, <laughs> risk management. I'm like, you can make a lot of mistakes with a big planter in a short amount of time. Small planter, slower. <laughs> yep, smart, smart. Great. So yeah, no, that, that I mean, that's been the, that's been the bean thing. I mean, it's been... It's been a lot of fun. I hope the December ones make it. I really hope I get to harvest something. That's that's been the part that I really hope. Because I kind of was joking with a guy on Twitter a little bit. I I said if the December beans make, because there is pressure on these early beans. You know, when the weather gets nice. Are oh, you gonna plant? You gonna plant? I'm like, yeah, I'll get around to it. I'm like, it's I've been doing it for four years now. Where I'm like, if the December ones make it, I kind of I set the guy a photo on. I said, if the December ones make it and they're harvestable. I said. This is my retirement, my mic drop. I'm done. I'm like, we're going to go find something else that's not supposed to work and we'll try it. You know, like I, w I was going to plant some corn the first part of April and I called a couple of guys like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And they're like, you can do it, but it's like, it, it's not beans. You know, will it grow? Yes. Your stand's going to be hit. It's going to be uneven. You know, it's just, it's been done. It's just not right. The agronomics of it don't make sense. Actually, I had a, um, a person from Compere got a hold of me. She, she's our loan officer. She's putting together the their, their May meeting, the company meeting. She wants me to speak about the beans because they even know from an insurance standpoint, the date should be pushed forward. Mm -hmm. Or at least the date should move based on full moon. It sounds stupid, but you know it should be moved. Now, if we get a frost May 20th, we're all screwed. You can't, there's nothing you can do about that. Like next week, I saw 33. It's like, <laughs> that's that's getting close, but right. as long as it doesn't get in the twenties, I'm not concerned. Um, it's it's just it's 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 a mentality, you know. It, it's and it's been one of those, especially on the beans. It's you know it, every year has been. You know, I try to keep good documentation. You know, I got a nice. I built a big Excel Excel file since 2010. Of you know, we used to plant everything with one machine. Corn went in. I'll oh, maybe go slam a little bit of beans in. Then you finish beans later. When we transitioned to strip till and a second planter, we moved our average planting date up two weeks, which I mean basically equates to yield. Plant, beans are much more of a planting date than corn is. Corn, soil conditions, and the weather. Um, beans, planting date, I mean, you, you get that June bean that does really well. Like, like 2020, um, was not a good bean year for me. A lot of guys, it was their one of the best bean years ever. I mean, it was still good, but it was not, it was maybe top five, but it was not, it was not where I was hoping it to be. Um, a lot of that could have been, we had one variety that kind of failed. Um, just a lot of weird stuff. This white mold killed me. That probably took three to four bushel off my average. You know, it, it, it just, when you put the data down on it, I mean, we paid for that strip till bar so fast. The second planter, so fast. You know, we've, we've increased our relative maturities. You know, it's it's not a, like I said, it's not always a guarantee that a two four is going to beat a one nine. There's no guarantee to it, but you set yourself up for the best chance. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, it's been not, I mean, like I said, we transitioned with strip till for beans first and we kept saying for the years, like, okay, what we're learning, you know, the, the next step is strip till corn on corn. Um, we have not done any, um, it, and that will, next year I have a field where we got hit with white mold. I'm like, I am not putting beans out there again. It will be strip till corn on corn. Um, in years past, corn on corn was always chiseled, two field cultivators planted. Um, so moving forward, I know next year we're going to have it. But now that we're, you know, the priority of getting the strips made in the fall, the confidence of the planter hitting the strips and the conditions. And um, now we have that dawn. So if we want to do a freshen type pass, we have that option. Um, so it's kind of one of those I've never been one to just like, oh, let's just jump in for more. You know, it's, it's slowly keep going. Thanks to Ryan Mel for this discussion about his innovative strip till experiments. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Andersons, for helping to make this strip till farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jakegerlock at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262 777 2404. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-blast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmer, with farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R, and our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. I hope that you'll join us again for our next episode in the 2021 podcast series. For Ryan Nell, the Andersons, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Julia Gerlach. Thanks for listening.